Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host, the Cloud 2030 Podcast. Today's episode is about collaboration around platform engineering, looking at what it takes to have much more collaborative building of automation and templates and shared components that are necessary to really drive platform engineering, not just between teams at the same company, but can we make components for infrastructure automation that bridges the industry? It could actually be shared much more broadly the way we share modules in coding languages. And so we really dug into what it takes to make that type of environment work in automation. What are the prerequisites? What are the environments? How do we structure automation to be much more code-like? I know you'll enjoy the discussion. Hitting today's topic, um, if it's of interest for everybody, which is this idea of back on this, my platform engineering, uh, Q and a and investigation of, can we actually have collaboration on platform engineering work that is cross company? Um, and I think platform engineering gets weird because I could I could say automation here, I could say Terraform scripts, I could say infrastructure as code. I think the, the thing I'm looking looking towards is a lot of what I see is good practice in, in individual platform engineering is reuse, right? How do you help teams have, you know, oh, we're you know, this team and that team are, are using the same templates or getting things out of a catalog. I'm looking to ways to extend that so that we're actually reusing automation or templates or configurations between companies so that we stop having to do all this custom work. I could go deeper, but does, does that make sense as a question? So you want... Uh, are you talking... Uh, like across maybe, companies. Maybe I should term. give an example. Yeah. Like I like when you when you say across companies, do you mean across providers or across users? Users. Let's see. So so if you have user A that does set up set up their platform templates in one way, uh, and you want them to be able to share those templates with user B. Correct. It, well, with user with with so so there's there's layers of this to me, um, right? This, the the most minimal sharing is I'm on a team with you, and we can share our platform engineering artifacts, uh, you know, templates, Ansible scripts, Terraform, whatever. Um, unfortunately, I, even that's pretty hard. <laughs> um, but at first level, the second level says, hey, we're actually, and this is where I think platform engineering starts kicking in. Says, you know, I've got 10 teams here. None of them are sharing. So my, my platform engineering team is running around like crazy trying to find some commonalities and support. How do I make it so that all 10 of my teams are reusing the same stuff so that I can help them and we can accelerate and they can stop creating this code, um, automation templates over and over again. And then 
the, the, the real nirvana to me means, hey, I want to actually have my team only write the stuff that's actually custom to me, which is probably less than 10% of what any of these companies are writing. And I want to be able to pull that stuff in from somewhere else and share it or reuse it or, right. And that way, if, if, you know, another company improves this template that I'm using, then I can pull that in and keep using it. I don't have to worry about, you know, I, I get the benefit of their innovation and testing and exercising. So let, does that help? Does that, that's sort of three, there's team, Intra-company and extra-company. Yeah. So, so to, to draw an analogy, I, I think. Yeah. So, so, so team on intra-company would be, so in, in the Ansible speak, would be like creating the Ansible roles um, and then creating a, a playbook for those roles. Uh, and then extra company or 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 in inter company would be the equivalent of say publishing your your playbook in, in ansible galaxy so that it is a template that can be reused assuming ansible galaxy allowed you to um other people to contribute back in a meeting like like what Ansible Galaxy was in in theory, which was everybody could keep using the same playbooks and we'd get reuse in Nirvana. Yes. But what Ansible Galaxy um could have been. Could have been. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean I, I'm not saying that 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 it went there because yeah uh, no, you're right. Like me uh, as a user, I was always wary of ansible galaxy or, or, or... <laughs> rightly so yeah uh, rightly so i mean largely because i i was very opinionated about how i wanted my playbooks to operate and, and it this ended up being orthogonal to how ansible galaxy uh publications well, ended up being part of, part of the and this is worth noting part of the challenge here is that if you're writing a playbook and i think this is true of, of you know I, I'm using playbook to be specific, but automation generally. If, if you're writing a playbook and somebody gives you back a patch to fix something, fix it, they fixed it for them. They actually don't know if it if it broke you. So collaborating around something that actually does infrastructure changes it's, it ends up being a pretty high risk activity, potentially. That that. And that to me is part of the inherent challenge with this. If I was to let you use all of my Ansible playbooks, right? Yay. You're going to be like, thank you. But if I, if you, if you start using it and then I give you a patch to it, cause I found a bug, you might be reluctant, more reluctant to take it. Or more likely you're going to have to fix it. You're going to find your own bug. You're going to fix your own bug. And now that's works. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that is, That is a common discussion around open source software too. It, um, <laughs> it still works. Um, the, mm-hmm. the the question is is I, I think more along the lines of, well, are we expecting an SLA attached to 
this. Um, I mean, if you and and that then brings us into like official uh, versions versus community versions. Okay, like you you see that with uh, Terraform, for example, where there, there's official modules and there's community modules. Uh, we see that with software development as well. We we even see that with, with Ansible and, and, and Puppet and, and Chef. Um, and it, it's always hard to, to decide where the um, where the cutoff should be because it it is very dependent on the on the community. Yeah. I mean the language the language models have actually done a good job of having reusable modules and components. Um, I mean, I, even I'm, I'm thinking about NPM, it actually gets to be a bit crazy with, with how much we pull in from a dependency graph perspective. But then we we count on those things working. Um, I mean, the, so the, the, by and large, I think language languages have done a pretty good job of this. They've iterated over that a lot too, so it's not like they were able to to get to that today. Um, there's still people who complain about how npm works or how Go pulls <laughs> its dependencies and so on, uh, and in some cases they're they're, they're valid issues. Um, yeah, it, it's not like everyone. Or, or it's not like everyone's problems are gonna be solved with with Node.js or or Rust or or Gola. So you, you still have to make a choice as to which language you use. Mm -hmm. so same same would happen on on the platform. Like is you're gonna have to make a choice as to which framework you use. Do you like you use Terraform? You use Pulumi? Um But even but even within those frameworks, the ability to share a plan this is this is where like it's it's really hard to share plans it is yes um uh, is that i mean <laughs> i mean i i guess i that that bugs me i it, it strikes me as it is a tool there's an element of it being a tool choice or a design choice in the tooling. There's an element of it being we're talking about infrastructure here, not internal code state in a programming language. So it's a different, the different externalized state is a different animal in that perspective. So I, I, th I throw, throw in one thing, uh, and I got to yeah. uh, actually jump, but uh, complexity oh, okay. is the one thing that always jumped out to me, uh, even in the time I worked at Puppet and dealing with modules and playbooks. If I have, quote unquote, a small issue, do I really want to take on existing collateral that can has like, let's say 10 pages for the just for the readme to try and figure out the 300 settings? Or do I, I unfortunately go the route of, you know what, I'll just whip something together, it'll take me five minutes and it'll have the five options or inputs that are exactly what I need. Um, and then the comparison to the, the programming language, the programming language, yeah. to your point, doesn't have the underlying infrastructure to, in the case of like a library where I can say, you know what, the library does what it does. 
and I'm not constantly comparing it to an underlying platform, whereas with like Terraform or some of these other things where it's like, okay, this particular Terraform provider does these three things. The underlying system supports these 300 things. And I'm constantly <laughs> like, why doesn't this provider support the 300 things that it does? <laughs> or if it does, your head explodes. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. Uh, this is this is what I've been struggling with because I feel like, and I know you have to, to run my tips. Thank you. Um, is like, it feels to me uh, like we should be able to do a better job of working together. But I, I don't know how to get a start, you know, how to start it. Martez is right, right? It's, if, if, you know, and I've done this a million times. I've looked at a playbook and I'm like, ah, this sets all sorts of junk. I don't want it to break. So you, you rip it out. But part of ripping it out is assuming that you're not going to take your, your fork. That's a fork. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it comes down to a matter of trust, partially. Mm. So... And, and take for example home charts. Um, yeah, when, when you install exactly. a third-party home chart, you you trust the creator of that chart to do something sensible. Uh, so it, there is no clear cutoff for that. So you might trust one vendor and say like, "Yep, the the." They, they create a chart. I'm going to use the, the product. I'm just going to install it as is. Right. Uh, versus another one, you say like, well, I, I don't know this person. So I'm going to download the chart and first take a look at it. Uh, and, and, if it look, and if it looks good, then perhaps I'm going to keep a local copy and use that. Um, have, have charts been able, and I, I haven't been keeping up with Helm charts, and it feels like we're not talking about them as much as we did in the early days. But have Helm charts managed to to basically be that more long term? Like I'll just keep using a chart from a from, you know, from the community library and not fork it. Um, it's been quite success, successful at, at doing that, and um, while for compliance reasons, you might still need to keep a local copy of a chart. Mm-hmm. You, by and large, at, at least with with the with the more more popular ones, you can just use the chart either directly from the vendor or or locally with very little modification. And the modification is typically done with with the with custom Helm values. So that's actually one of the things where mm-hmm. where, where I think chart that chart that this right and that um let's say i i use the the bitnami postgres uh help chart okay by default it will it will create uh a a, a an admin secret which is a with a random password so if you do a home install or or home upgrade it will rotate that secret that is not ideal but it has a flag. Uh, it has a as a feature flag. We can say mm-hmm. instead of creating your yours, instead of creating a secret in the chart, just use this other secret that is 
has been created out of that. And okay. that solves and that solves that problem. Uh, and, and, there's, so and, there's a predictable extension point. Yes. Uh, and well, by and large, I I I see Helm charts as a su- success story in platform engineering uh, because of that. Be- because okay. you like even if the like even if the the, the chart if the default configuration of the chart does not meet your requirements. It, it has a limited set of settings that you can tune to make it work the way you need it. And, and so, sometimes that, that sometimes those settings are not sufficient. Like for example, if it's a small developer that hasn't considered the, the, the case of providing third party or providing all the band secrets or, or referencing those, then, well, then you need to modify the chart, but you, you can, you can submit a merge request or, or pull request to, um, to update that with, with, with the original originator and, uh, it, on the worst case, you, you fork it, uh, but it is there there is a community hub like artifact uh, hub that uh, io uh, mm-hmm. where where charts are are discoverable right so i, I um, think the the key the key thing that you're saying to me that sort of jumps out though is this it needs to allow the chart to become more and more complex to handle these edge to handle handle the, the sophisticated user cases. And it needs to do it in a way that the novice user doesn't feel compelled to rip everything out to understand it. Um, right. That it that it can and, and that that to me is this this weird balance that, that I'm I'm watching this happen in real time with platform engineering and, and the dev portal stuff. It's like, hey, I just want a button that installs my app. And so you build a button that installs an app, and then six months later, it's got a hundred fields in it because it's got right. And then all of a sudden, it's not the easy self-service dev portal that everybody wanted, right? It's 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 sort of like I got the benefit just by wiping the slate clean, not by solving the problem. Um, right. So so it, that's it. That's yeah. the distinction between customization and saying defaults. Like in terms of a, a UI. Mm-hmm. You would still have the button that installs the app, but if the if it's a power user, they will likely go to an advanced tab or or an advanced dropdown uh, and right. set their customizations there. Right. The, the challenge the challenge has to be that when you build it, same defaults are critical, but. You have to be able to say, okay, I'm going to let you configure this value and then run the process, but it needs to be the same process. This is where I'm trying to get to from that perspective, right? We have a tendency when you're running, you're like, oh, this is, you know, this is the the pro user version. I'm going to um, run them on a different playbook than the amateur user. And that that's get back into this position. It takes a little bit more work to say, my my pro and my novice, you know, that all of my use cases are going to funnel into the same automation. 
But then that automation is going to be more complex, which means that you're going to have to make an effort to understand it or figure out what's going on. This is this is our balance, right? That that yeah. servicing but, multiple teams, right? Especially extra company, end up meaning that there's complexity that you're going to embed into the system. There's also two more things that that you will require. Okay. Uh, okay. One is declarative configuration. So hmm. okay. if I if I have like if if I use uh like if I say like I want to install this app version two point one, uh, and I'm not going to use the defaults. I'm going to use some customizations. Sure. If I then want to install the same app in a completely different environment with the same settings, I should be able to to provide those settings declarative to say, hey, yes. this is my this is the way I want this app configured. And, and if uh, a version 2.2 comes out, that configuration should stay valid still. I actually think the declarativeness that you just described is an essential Yes, it becomes essential to what we're saying because what you're what you're really trying to do is you're saying th these are the minimum starting set that I have, and then all of the downstream stuff that has to get has you know has to get figured out can then be injected into the process as you go. Like I'm I'm thinking yes. of like oh there's a Debian or or um, CentOS or you know a Red Hat base. So now now I've got different package repos. Or nowadays there's even more flavors because of all the clouds, right? Mm -hmm. So, so now you're going to hit. You're like, oh, okay. I'm just installing this stuff. I said declaratively, but I'm running automation, and that automation, if it's running in Amazon, is going to have completely different, not you know, going to have adjusted variation versus if it was running in Google or on premises. Yeah. Um, so, so the yeah. the reusable ability of that configuration, or or, or more specifically. The reusability Sorry. of the desired state is what you want, and and this is one of the the reasons why I think that GitOps has been so well accepted in that mm -hmm. it allows you to do exactly that. And then the other thing that is also needed is a healthy ecosystem of tools around the automation of your tasks, and that, this is not just a tool like automation for deployment, but also automation for uh, linting, for security scanning. Essentially, automation to, to say, this module that I'm using conforms to my specifications. Because then you don't have to review the full module. You just run it against your tools. You know, say, yep, it passes, good enough. I think I, I agree with you. The test is the test is essential for people to be competent. That um, and I like the linting too. Because right, if if you're going to take somebody else's, if somebody's going to improve your code, this this is my dilemma. What you just what you just described. I share. You and I are sharing a module to install uh, Postgres. Uh, you say MySQL or Postgres. I said Postgres, but that's both Postgres. Postgres, that's fine. Um, and you know, my standard is, is uh, CentOS. Yours is Debian. Um, 
we we agree that we're going to do this declaratively. So, right, the minimal MySQL, what port you need, what your password is, right? Um, type of type of version, maybe, um, maybe not even that, but just, you know, just the minimum declarative starting point, and then you want to run the automation. That automation is highly similar, but the places where you're interacting with the cloud environment or the um, operating system are going to be different. And if we're going to stay on the same automation, we have to have a way to test or be confident that if, if I fix something that's related, you, you know, you're not going to know whether I fix something that was CentOS specific and you don't care about, or if it was actually improving the way Debian or the Postgres was configured itself. Um, and, and and adding or adding a very you know some some configuration benefit, right? But so so right. How I mean like what what would you need to see? Is there anything that, that you can see for us for you to take? If I modify something for you to come back and say, okay, I'll I'll take I'll keep I'll keep sticking on that. Linting definitely. Yeah. Um, um. I mean, you're going to have to you're going to have to retest it in your environment. Yeah, I I, I would want a revision history or change log. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, essentially, is, I, is I, I would want it, is some of it as simple as is just like an uh, some agreement to collaborate so that if I if I broke something that you were dependent on, that we were at least aware enough that that was happening that we could. Iron out the differences. Um, if it's versioned, yes. Interesting. Like, like if you if you have version two point seven, I'm happy with it. And then you say, you know what? I, I need to refactor this whole thing because of this particular use case. Um, on you're going to release version three, and you, you, like in your release notes, you say this is not backwards compatible for reasons X, Y, and Z. I can look at it and say like. Okay, that 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 seems fair. I'm going to continue using version two point seven until I'm ready to migrate. Right. And, and and you get the best of what's well. So like this is the ah, this is standard okay. software publishing uh, procedure when, when or or library publishing <laughs> procedure. Like going back to, to the language yep. uh, part. Like there's a reason why why libraries are versioned, and this is exactly it. Um, like I, I, I'm not going to stay in 2.7 forever because I know that if, like, particularly if it stays unmaintained, uh, I run the risk of being vulnerable, um, not just to, um, to like software vulnerabilities that, that may mm-hmm. remain unpatched, but also to, uh, like, essentially, uh, like decay, like, like it. But yes, if yes, yes. if the oh, infrastructure no. <laughs> that the module maintains changes, then I I know that the lifetime of a particular version is, is limited. Yeah, well, you, you get that's what I've been calling the half life of automation is is a huge component with this um, on both sides, right? You're, mm-hmm. If something changes, I think you're right. The ver- ability to version. Um, and have a dependency graph of the, the automation stuff you're, you're pulling is is critical for you to trust. Like, oh, okay, I'm not going to take, you know. Actually, that's it. This is really important. 
if if you and I are collaborating on automation, we're working on tip, right? New version, making changes, whatever. You can take that really quickly because you needed it. Uh, at some point, we'll agree that that's a version. We'll put it in version. I might, you know, I have to be able to control when I take that that automation change, um, and I might even have variations of that automation throughout my fleet. I might have, you know, my dev site might take latest tip. I might be on one rev back in test so I can check everything, but my production systems might be at, you know, different versions depending on their, their history. And that's, that is part of the lexicon that we need to have in, in doing this. It's one of the things that's sort of sad about like um, Terraform plans don't have a version or Ansible either don't have this idea of um, this. Plan. This is the same plan that you were using before, but now I've changed your version, um, and mm-hmm. you have to know when that's going to change because because it's declaratively. Now we're back to declarative. The declarative thing is like, oh, I have a automation that does this with these values. You need to know the ver- version of that automation, and it you know it should get still get the same result. Well, Terraform, you, you you do kind of have that. So okay. what when when you when you do before you do a Terraform plan, you need to do a Terraform init, which resolves mm-hmm. the the module versions, and um, and uh, and downloads them. So so you have a local cache. As long as you don't do a Terraform init again, or Terraform uh-huh. init that slash update, then your 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 dependencies are met uh and you, you can, have the same result even even more i mean you if once you have that terraform lock file you you're you're protected and like one of the things we'll do is we'll we save the terraform lock file with the state file from that for that reason and they did a good job with with the over time this is, this is an emergent behavior they did a good job with versioning the providers my my comment comes back to the plans aren't Current version. Like if I have a plan, and I, I hand you a plan that sets up a cluster, right? And I make it declarative so it has input variables, right? Maybe I'm stretching declarative, but here's the input variables. Here's the plan. Don't mess with the plan. Only only change the variables, right? You've taken a step closer to being declarative. But now that plan, Postgres install, um, Great. What I really need is it needs to be Postgres install version six, but I don't want Postgres install the, the version six to be in the name. It should just be like, I, you know, it, it's for it to be more developer like, I need to be able to say, okay, here's Postgres, you know, that version management needs to be inherent in the, in the system, is what I'm saying. Yes. Right. Because then, then you should you should be able to say, oh, hey, wait a second. I, I'm going from version six to version seven because my platform engineering team has come out with a new version of Postgres install plan. And then you should have confidence that you can update that and not destroy things. Yeah. So so what, <laughs> what you would typically see is that you would have um so your Postgres install plan would you have uh a, would include the various modules that you would want. So let's say module for creating a, a, a VM, module for 
um, installing certain packages, uh, include by or dependencies module for installing and configuring Postgres itself. Mm -hmm. um, mm, and then you're doing it modules, yes. And then when you when the difference in your plan, like as you say, like you parameterize your plan, you say, okay, install this version of Postgres, and then you pass on this parameter to the to the Postgres module, uh, which like the one that just installs Postgres, not not just the the stuff around it, um, and then that one would then uh, install the version that you would want. And, and in fact, you can see this now with with uh, with, with cloud modules uh, for like for AWS or, or for Google Cloud or or Azure, where let's say with RDS, you can say I want this version of RDS, and and it goes yeah. and does it for you. So so again, you, your your plan would would just pass on this parameter onto the uh, onto the wow. module, and and then the parameters themselves, you you keep them in version control. Like typically, you would have like a local .tf where you, where you define those, or 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 or, or you you create like a .tfr file. Well, what you're what you're defining is a discipline to take make sure that the automation is immutable. Yes. Right now we're and we're back to and I think it's reasonable we're back to you know part of being declarative means that the the thing behind that is mutable. Um, some ways just means version version, but, but immutable, predictable, reproducible, which requires like, a degree of discipline from that perspective that to do good work. And if you were doing that, that would let a platform engineering team, right. Now, now we're back to, I think, a nice definition of, of more reusable automation to say, all right, here is the deal if you want reusable automation. You're going to have a declarative input and you're going to run a immutable automation behind that to achieve a state. And then the platform team can be responsible for versioning, adjusting, improving that automation. But as soon as, as, soon as you, you not let that that automation path, be, um, as soon as you've allowed it to be mutable, then the ability to share and reuse drops. I don't think we're all the way there, right? There's still things where you have to do that. Well, we've been talking about trust and linting and being able to control when you take a patch. Like it was all this stuff that goes in, but you can't get any of that without the first criteria, without this immutability in the yeah, uh, there's like you, you need to work on building a reputation. Like, for it's, example, it would almost be like writing a programming language where the the modules that you brought in could be dynamically flipped around anytime you want it. Which <laughs> I'm I'm thinking about Ruby and duct typing and um and how awesome and scary that was. Well, I, I mean, e even with uh. Even with the like, even if you use a, a, a trusted module, um, like it, it just takes one incident to 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 break trust. Like, look at what happened yeah. with uh, LESPAD and NPM. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 then once an incident happens, the the ecosystem adjusts to say like, okay, what can we do to prevent this in the future? Um, yeah. 
So again, I don't feel it, like we've gotten target. there with the automation at the moment, though. Um, we're still, we're still, still we are getting there. Um, yeah. So again, like for example, with, with, with Terraform is like even even if even if you trust the the provider completely, you cannot. Or, or typically, you do not just do blindly unapply. You do a plan, you review the output of the plan, and, and, and the output is Terraform saying, like, this is exactly what's going to change. Like, these are the resources that I'm changing. It's, it's not just it's not just what the, what yeah. the model says is, is going to do. It's what's actually going to happen. So, so, so the trust delegation stops there. Uh, and then only after you review the plan is when you when you approve it. Now you you may choose to set up some automation like crossplane to automate this, but well, you don't have it's, to. it's a good interface. That that becomes a good interface point. I think part of what I was excited about when I saw platform engineering and it's still lurking in the middle of all this dev portal talk <laughs> is is this idea of a better contract. Or yes. making a, a, a infrastructure request or a automation request. Cross, I mean, Crossplane is a good example of that. It's a, it's a, you know, setting up these contracts. Yes. There's there's layers in this. It's turtles all the way down. It is. It it is. But I mean it. I, I watch, right, when we work with people, just how much toil people have reinventing stuff. Um, and then just my personal journey is this, the toil of watching, you know, people not be able to get help. Like you help somebody do something and then you show up six months later and they're like, you're like, yeah, I've gotten better at that. And they're like, yeah, I, you can't get any of that benefit. They got you know loss in, in development languages. You're like, well, patch the next. You know, we got the security fix. Take the fix. <laughs> Frustrating when it doesn't work well in automation. Yeah, yeah, that's, we've uh, got to do better. Yeah, it, it's a process, and, and, and again, it yeah. like as I said before, <laughs> yeah, it, you are. It, it 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 comes down to to building a healthy ecosystem around it. Like the, the, the automation part of it, uh, uh, it comes comes down to building trust, which you can you cannot build trust without the ecosystem to verify that trust. Mm, um, and and you you need to have the, the reproducibility side of that. So you say you can say like like what when when you're able to demonstrate that like you, you run it and you run it again and you get the same result. Uh, and you run it again and again and again, and you still get the same result. Well, that's you proving it empirically. Uh, but if you, if you can then say, like, I, I cannot, I can prove logically that it has to produce the same result because of X, Y, and C, because I have the tooling that, that verifies that same result, then that gives you much more power. Yeah, I'm hoping some AI is going to help us. Um, Make some predictions of the results of automation. Until then, it's exercise, exercise, exercise. 
Uh, I mean, you, you don't really need AI to do it. You, you, you need formal verification methods. That would be fine. Yeah, no, it's... But that's back to exercising it. Yep. I think linting is helpful, but the side effects on infrastructure is really, really hard to predict. So, I mean, it's it's helpful to have compliant, like, take linting is valuable because it takes mention off the table on meeting. Yeah, I just want to say, Rob, don't fall yeah. into the the AI fixes everything trap. Oh, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm not. It's sloppy and, you know, it, it's lazy. And right now, AI has got lots of hype. And we're going to find <laughs> out. <laughs> we're going to find we, we, out what we're spinning up like a project. Yeah, we're we're spinning up a project that, that and I'm I'm actually going to do a talk. At, um, and we can we can add this to the backlog. Um, I'm doing a talk at Bluecon in a couple of weeks now about um, what I'm calling generative DevOps. I'm I'm I'm, not, I'm asking can like I'm I'm going to do some exploration for. Like, can we have some generative DevOps and what would be the consequences? And we, we can if we have the ecosystem to, to do the verification. <laughs> so like, yeah, if, if, I can, yes. if I can ask an AI to say, like, give me a, a, a Terraform plan to, to create a Kubernetes cluster and deploy X, Y, and Z workloads. Uh, and then I take that and I run it through my tester and say, so, so, yeah, this looks good. We're out of time for today. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it on the, if, if you want, next week, let's, if, you're, if you're happy to do it, we'll talk about generative DevOps <laughs> and see. We certainly can. Yeah, it could, it could be interesting. It could be interesting. Uh, and it could be very interesting because uh, applying what the current state and models are for creating generative uh, tools versus what we have available in DevOps could be interesting. Also, Rob, um, yeah. it appears that uh, the link without a person ID doesn't seem to kick into this seminar. The other one does, but this one doesn't. A person ID. What? Yeah. So I'm going to send you the an email of a friend who checked in as the second me last time, uh, ah. which is why you saw two of me and uh, have you add him to the list. Okay. Okay. To. Thanks. Of course. All right, everybody. This was and interesting. Thanks all. <laughs> yep. That's an interesting talk. talk. Yep, thank you. Wow. Platform engineering is really an interesting topic to me, in part because these core ideas of reusability and ease of use and strong contracts and operations and developer collaboration have seemed to be pulled towards one thing only, developer uh, self-service portals, when I think what we really need to accomplish to create sustainable value here is something much more deep uh, and thoughtful in how we approach this. And, and we got there in this conversation. I know we're going to be coming back to many topics that we discussed and platform engineering. If you want to be part of the conversation, please join us at the 23.cloud. 
uh, come in, check out our agenda, and uh, be part of the dialogue. We want to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.